Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. And welcome back to our wonderful listeners. And today's episode, we'll be talking about physiotherapy, yoga, pain science, and who knows where the conversation will go. I am, it's a great honor to be interviewing uh, Shelly Prosco today. So welcome to the show. Yay, thank you so much for having me. This will be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring the topic of, you know, yoga, pain science, physiotherapy, and um, seeing where, where we end up. So I guess my first question really to you is, uh, what, what came first, the physio or the yoga? The yoga. So in around 1990, I found a book in my sister's room. My sister's two years older than me. Um, And at that time, let's see, 1990, I would have been, oh gosh, I'm going to have to figure out when I'm, what was I, 20? This is embarrassing. 18. Yeah. So I was 18 years old. Um, And at that time, I, you know, would go to my sister's room and borrow all her clothes and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, And I found a book on yoga that she had. And so I opened it up and thought it was kind of interesting. And it was was mostly like the physical postures. And at that time in 1990, there was all these celebrities coming out saying they were doing yoga, like Madonna and Sting. And so I, um, I fully admit it was, you know, just it was for the physical and it was like, hey, if if these celebrities are doing it and, you know, they're claiming that it has all these benefits. And so that, that's initially what happened. And then back then there was only a few, or sorry, there was only one yoga studio in, in Saskatoon where I lived. Um, so I started going to that studio. My sister had gone as well. And that, I mean, that's kind of where it started. And then as the decade went on, so I, I uh, graduated from PT school in 98. Um, But, you know, over that sort of decade, um, I just started learning even more about yoga and um, my own experience. Like I started feeling better and not just physical, but um, like even just mentally. And I felt like I even just emotionally, I didn't have a language back then for it. But now I know, oh, I was um, even better at like regulating, you know, like emotionally. Mm regulate like being aware right just there's that certain awareness and felt like I was being kind of showing up in my life just maybe a little bit more kinder a little bit more patient like those kinds of things a little more peaceful maybe I mean don't get me wrong <laughs> um, there's I still struggle to this day I'm just human um, I'm not trying to say that oh I've you know had it all figured out but I just started noticing little changes and then um, started learning more about some of the breathing practices, started learning more about meditation, yoga philosophy. And then um, at physio, when I graduated in 98, I then just right right away started integrating some of the different yoga poses. So I was just making it up as I'd go along, like, oh, this pose would be good, you know, that would be good. And then I started integrating Um, the more I started to experience some of these yoga practices in my own personal practice, I started thinking, hey, I could use this little breath awareness practice, you know, two minutes, you know, I could maybe help this person. Um, So then I started, yeah, making it up sort of as I went along within scope of practice, of course, and stuff that made sense. I mean, I wasn't doing anything, you know, woo woo or out of, you know, I wouldn't start chanting or anything. Like I just, the base, you know, movement, some breath, all that's in within scope of a, of a physio. And then as the years go on, you know, now into the 2000s and you start taking, or I started taking more formal 
yoga therapy training and that's a whole story and different courses, et cetera, et cetera, and conferences and, you know, and then it just, it was an evolution. So that was a long answer, but that gives you some uh, idea. That that's, I always find it interesting how, you know, how one comes to be where they are now. So kind of seeing the evolution and, and understand, you know, just seeing what, what sort of came first and, and how, you know, people, cause oftentimes, you know, uh, emerging roles you know within different professions happens when you have sort of two different um i guess backgrounds or two different ways of thinking all of a sudden informs um you know your process like me being an anthropology major and being really interested in how different cultures understand you know health wellness um dis ease and all of that. And, you know, I never thought that that, I, I always thought that was a limitation to my, you know, being in physio school, because I didn't have the anatomy and all of that background. But then as time went on, getting more into pain neuroscience and all of uh, the different psychosocial uh, factors, all of that other stuff actually kind of came in quite handy. Um, and so Absolutely. I just, yeah. I just find it interesting how these different ways of looking interweave and then create sort of new and emerging roles within um, physiotherapy. So, mm -hmm. well, as physiotherapists, we look at the whole person, right? As you know, so we're really working with people and their complexities. And so, no matter where your background is, I mean, I know some physios, I mean, you probably have so many guests on your show that have such different backgrounds, whether it's dance or um, art. Mm. Um, I, I just recently spoke with a physio that had a background in, in art. And so that's really informing her practice. Um, you know, f uh, for another friend had a background in philosophy. And she's saying how much that has really informed her PT practice. And so, yeah, I can appreciate what you're saying there. I think pretty much any background we have might be able to help us because we're just working with humans. Exactly. And, and not everybody responds to the same language. So having different tools in our toolbox is certainly quite helpful. So I, get, so I was going to ask this a little bit later, but maybe this uh, seems relevant to what we're talking about now. Um, you did a TED Talk on pushing boundaries in physiotherapy. So um, I'm just wondering if, if um, this, you know, integrating yoga, is that sort of what you're, what you're meaning by sort of pushing the boundaries and seeing like, okay, how can I integrate something a little different into physio that may not be the more traditional view? Yeah, that's, that was the idea of the, of the, of the talk. And I had ruptured my own Achilles tendon and yeah. And, and um, you know, it was just so interesting, the, the whole process because when I went to the orthopedic surgeon and um, you know, got casted and, and it, and I had the instruction that, okay, your physiotherapy will, it'll start in nine weeks, right? Because with this rupture casted and then you have the boot cast and basically you don't, you want to keep it immobilized in this particular injury so that the, those two ends, you know, meet. So I went, uh, I took the non-operative approach. That's more and more common now. There's some research that shows how valuable it is and effective. Um, so that means, though, that you have to be, uh, the ankle has to be immobilized in the plaster cast for a couple weeks. And then after that, you're in the boot cast. But then even, even then, you're not really doing, <clears throat> excuse me, you're not doing any, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> but even though you're um, immobilized, uh, or sorry, you're now in the boot cast, and you can come out of it and just do just a little bit of range, you still can't really start any physiotherapy until about two months or more. Post. So I was just really um, surprised, disappointed that you know, that there's just, there's nothing. I mean, you're just going to leave me for two months. And there's so much that we can do to help promote healing 
you know, there's so much we can do in those stages, especially if you have pain, inflammation, uh, we can move all other parts of our body that do move. Uh, there's, there's just so much. And I go into it, of course, very concisely. And, you know, in the TED Talk, everything's all rehearsed. And so I've, I've got all the, bo- the points there. But I just really realized that, you know, if we can integrate, and it doesn't have to be yoga. Of course, my talk was yoga because that's what I do. That's my approach. I integrate this framework. But it doesn't have to be. So the TED Talk can be, you know, really just to all physiotherapists, like, look, we can, we can do more than what, you know, than what we're doing sometimes. We can really fit into being more of a, a facilitator of recovery. We're not just looking at the body part. We're not fixing, you know, things. Like, we can look at the whole human being. But where the yoga comes in for me, um, you know, we can look at, like I had said, just a few few minutes ago, different um, breathing practices that might even help you with sleep, that might help you with focus and concentration. Anyone who's had a traumatic injury, um, your whole system just almost goes into shock. And, you know, it's very draining. It's very fatiguing. It's hard to sleep in those big casts and boot casts. And and sleep is really important for tissue healing. Um, Stress can delay tissue healing. So of course, there's different yoga practices that might help us manage our stress better. Um, you start to get, I talk about this in the TED Talk, I started to get a little bit uh, kind of like some depressive kind of symptoms because like you're not getting out and about. Some people may be off work for three weeks or longer. You're not doing the things you like. So often you have to cancel some things maybe you'd been looking forward to or planning for the last however many months or years. So, you know, it can be, it can be quite devastating, even though it may just be an acute injury that's not, um, you know, going to last forever. It'll heal and we'll get back on our feet. But nobody talks about how traumatic that can be, you know, even within the first two months. And um, you, if you think about it, the last thing I'll say to this is if you think about it, when we have um, life changing, uh, more permanent injuries, like spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, strokes. Um, You know, we look at the rehab there in physiotherapy and we've got a lot of um, great support. You know, we we get teams and, and, um, you know, we look at the whole human being because we know, okay, this is a huge life-changing thing. So now I know that an Achilles tendon rupture, I'm not trying to compare that. So I hope nobody um, gets that idea. Um, But what I'm saying is with even these acute injuries that might take six months to a year or even six weeks. Um, But, you know, in this case, it it took a good year to get back to where I wanted. Why isn't there, you know, why aren't we starting right from the beginning, not waiting, you know, till the, the limb is out of the cast, like you should be starting that process. And so that's, that's what I talk about there. And, and then, like I said, yoga is, it's so wonderful. It's such a, um, you know, in physio, we're, we're taught to take a biopsychosocial approach. You know, we're taught we're supposed to look at the whole human being um, and not just look at the body part or we're not supposed to treat the diagnosis, but treat the person. Yet um, in school, you know, we're not really given a lot of great tools on how to do that within scope of practice. Um, and so that's how yoga just for me and my colleagues who also integrate yoga, how, you know, we've been so grateful to the system of yoga because it gives us those, um, you know, those tools or those ideas and a framework. Absolutely. I want, I guess now would be a good time to sort of, because you talked about other colleagues um, that integrate yoga practice. Um, I, when did pain, how did pain science enter your life? Was it a colleague that brought it in or just a course or where, where did uh, that part start to weave into your practice? Well, I, um, first, my first recollection, sometimes these, that's hard to answer, right? Cause you don't yeah. remember one thing, but I, in this case, I do remember, um, the explain pain book. So David Butler and Lorimer Mosley, uh, that book came out, I think it was about 2003. But for me, I think it came across my desk around 2005. 
So I was working at a, an outpatient orthopedic clinic that also had an occupational rehab program. So I worked in the, uh, in the acute orthopedic setting in the morning, and then in the afternoon I worked in this occupational rehab program, which included a lot of workers' compensation claims and things like that. And um, it was this facility that it, they made it mandatory for all of us to read this explained pain book. So I remember when I first started, um, you know, working there, there it was on the desk. Okay, you know, I was the newbie um, at this clinic. I had already been working um, since 98, but this was my, it was a new job that I had. I had relocated. Um, and yeah, so I just, that was my first recollection, started reading that. And then, of course, after that, I, I came across, you know, other people's work. And uh, I will mention Neil Pearson right now because he's been instrumental so he's a physiotherapist and a yoga therapist he's in British Columbia and he's assistant professor at UBC and I mean he's been doing this gosh I think for 30 years or more but I met him because he's this yoga therapist you know that was integrating uh, yoga into not just physiotherapy but into helping people with persistent or chronic pain and so that, I mean, he was just someone I was like, where are you? Who are you? I need to know you. And so I got connected with him. And then it was him and his program. He's just brilliant. And um, I, I always tease him. He's like a walking, um, well, we used to say encyclopedia, but those don't really exist anymore. He's like a, a walking, what would you say? Uh, um, PubMed? Yeah, PubMed <laughs> or, Wik, or Wik, Wikipedia, I guess now. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I learned, you know, I learned a lot from him and his, his training and his programs and the wisdom that he shared. And I still, you know, I, I work with him now and not that I still learn. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I wanted to, I guess, hear a little bit about, you know, like how the two of you, so you, you know, you saw some of his work and you wanted to get to know him. How did, like, how did you <laughs> How did you make that happen? <laughs> did you just send him an email like, hi, you don't know me? No, you're going to uh, laugh. No, laugh. I just decided to move where he lived and stopped him. No. <laughs> it looks that way, but it's not. My husband actually ended up getting relocated to um, Vernon, BC, which is very close to where Neil lives, which was in Penticton, BC at the time. So I was right there in the Okanagan, and I'm like, hey, Neil Pearson lives here. And so I, I don't, re I, uh, did I email? Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I may have emailed or called um, the clinic. I don't remember. But, um, oh, yeah, we, right away, you know, we went out for coffee, and um, it was, I mean, when you're, when you're sort of, um, you know, I think this is true in any community or any industry, when you're like-minded, you know, so I had been integrated. I already been. I already took a, a formal yoga therapy program at that point. So I was already integrating yoga into physio. I was doing a lot of you know things, and um, you know, and he he was really open to you know to meeting. And I can't remember if that was the first time though. I may have actually reached out to him before because I remember seeing an article he wrote in our Canadian Physiotherapy. A magazine, you know, before that, because I was living and working in the States before I, um, you know, before we moved to British Columbia. And I remember my mom would always send me all the magazines I would get, you know, um, so I still have the address back home with mom and dad. So she'd always send me care packages. And <laughs> so oh, she nice. was, I, I, I remember, yeah, and I remember one of those magazines, because I remember living in the States in the house I was in, you know, I've got these real specific memories and I remember seeing Neil's picture and this article on yoga and um, pain. Um, so that would maybe be my first memory is that article. I just imagine how cool it is, or I, I just think of how cool it is when you come across somebody who, um, you know, like you said, like-minded or is doing similar things so that you can oh, get together. Madeline. Oh, yes. It was, well, I felt so alone. Like I honestly, and this is not coming from an arrogant place um, when I say this, but like I thought I was 
one of the only ones, not, not the only one, but I mean, I just, I didn't know anyone else doing this. And like I said, I was just making stuff up. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to integrate this yoga. And like I said, it started to become more than just the physical postures. Like I wanted to, how do I do this? You know, how do I integrate some of this mindfulness and, and these different body scans and breath awareness practices? Yeah. And then you see this guy doing this already who's been doing it way longer than I had and I was just like I need to talk to him and I didn't know what I was going to say or how it would work but yeah so it was and he's just brilliant I don't know if you've ever met him um but I haven't oh he's so kind he would probably he would love to come on on this podcast too he's just so um kind very giving of knowledge and wisdom and his time and his resources and he's such a mentor many of us Um, yeah I just think of like how excited I would be to meet somebody and just be like, okay, I can't wait to just have a discussion about this with you. Like, okay, this is what I do. This is what I found. What did you find? And, and I could just imagine like for mm-hmm. myself, how just engaged mm-hmm. that conversation well, would, would be. Yeah, and if I may, this might be a good point. Just in case some of the listeners um, are interested, if, if you, know, you have physiotherapists who might be interested in integrating yoga, another a thing that, that really helped me you know, with, on this path and really facilitate this path was going to some of the conferences where these physiotherapists meet who are also integrating yoga. So we have, you know, now a Facebook group, gosh, there's probably over, well over a thousand now. And we're physiotherapists around the world, mostly North America, um, but physiotherapists who are integrating yoga and everyone's in a, on a different, like it's a continuum. And some people are just interested in it and they're not, they don't really know how and they just want to start and learn. Others have been doing it like myself for 20 Plus years, and so everybody's different, but it, there's a, there's a community out there. And so when I started going to these conferences around 2007 um, or 2006, I think it was the first one I went to. Um, their yoga therapy conferences. You meet a lot of these, a lot of these people that are like-minded, like-hearted, and open yeah. to this integration. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that because there definitely could be physios listening and maybe didn't consider it or are thinking about it or maybe are doing it and are looking for that community. So I think that's a really fantastic um, resource that they can uh, seek out. Um, yeah. And then people, people that aren't physios, um, you know, so if you have people listening who would like to find a physiotherapist who integrates yoga, you know, then there's, there are people around the world that are doing that. So um, just for now, kind of reach out to me and I can see if there's one in your area. Yeah, that's, that's a good point as well. There, there are certainly individuals who may be seeking that as uh, their own therapeutic, uh, therapeutic journey. So I guess I want to talk a little bit about persisting pain uh since you've sort of been in this arena for for quite some time um do you find any common threads amongst individuals who have persisting pain like like a lot of them have sleep disturbances or um have a lot of stress in their life or um I'm just, I'm just trying to think in your experience, do you find any common threads or common things that you're educating on for individuals who are hurting? Well, you know, the things that you just said there, I would say that those are common, but at the same time, there are many people who have persisting pain that they're sleeping pretty good um, and they don't necessarily um, feel like they have a lot of stress or if they are, they, they really do seem to manage it well. I remember earlier on several years ago, I, um, I, f- I feel like I was pretty biased as to, you know, what we're learning 
you know, and being taught like, okay, you know, sleep, because of that, we do know that in the literature, um, you know, that when pain persists, it changes all aspects of our existence. So a lot of people with persisting pain have, you know, trouble with sleeping. Um, there's, we know that stress can play a huge role. And if we can manage that stress, that can change our pain. So we know this. Um, however, what I've been learning is um, pain, just like the human, is so complex. And, and I have to watch my own biases. And mm. not everybody, would, and, and since I started watching my own biases, it's really interesting. Because sure enough, um, yeah, not everybody has those issues necessarily. I would agree with you. Uh, it, it is common, um, but not everybody. And one thing that I would say, though, more than the than the stress management or the um, the lack of stress of um, effective coping strategies and the maybe lack of sleep. One thing that I would say that might be even more common than that would be. Oh, it's, and I don't want to say everyone. We just, we just can't say that, but I feel like I want to because it feels like, you know, I'm thinking of all these people that I've seen their faces and, you know, really keeping them right now on the forefront of my mind. And everyone that I'm thinking of right now, the one thing that I do have in common is fear of movement or uh, a lack of confidence. Actually, I'm not even going to say fear. Let me change that. A lack of confidence that they can move without you know re or like exacerbating their pain so a lack of confidence in movement and a lack of confidence that they can control their pain you know people mm -hmm. that i have you know i i i really feel like um everyone um you know at risk of making these global sleeping claims but it really does feel like one of the most common things is that they just really feel that they just don't have the confidence that they can control their pain. And it's really interesting. The research shows us that uh, the more that uh, people in pain, the more that they don't believe that they have any control or any sense of agency over their pain, uh, that actually reduces the descending inhibition on the brain. So for those that maybe aren't familiar with this, there's all there's lots of different um, things that go on, of course, in the pain system. But one of the things that can happen is, you know, the brain sends down messages down through the spinal cord where we're processing some of these danger signals that go up to the brain. Um, but what happens is that if the brain has uh, sort of decides that overall we're in this uh, sense that we have the sense of safety or overall things are okay. We don't need to protect. There can be messages sent down from the brain that we call, it's called descending inhibition, but it really just helps to block maybe some of those danger messages going up. So if we believe, so the research shows us if the person actually believes that they can't control the pain, they have that expectation that it's out of their control, then we have less of that descending inhibition taking place. So that's there's one of so many complex things that happens, but I think that's really interesting and tells us a lot, don't you? Absolutely, and I know the post-conference, um, I guess, course talked a lot about self-efficacy and you know building one sense of feeling like they're able to do things, you know, despite the pain being present or um, if it were to flare, they, they, they feel confident in, in knowing what to do about it and that um, there's a lot of research um, supporting building that confidence. And I think that's, you know, that's where we as physios come in with, um, you know, our pain education and, uh, you know, trying to help people kind of get comfortable with moving their body and helping them understand that it, you know, pain isn't always about tissue damage and all those key concepts, you know, going back to explain pain um, and that there's good evidence behind pain neuroscience education. And that's probably why there's a lot of um, research and talk about it within 
um, multiple healthcare providers because, you know, if you don't understand pain, you don't know what to do about it, uh, life can become quite limiting. And then all sorts mm-hmm. of other cascading things happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just curious, you know, um, what you, you know, what sort of your um, thoughts were with respect to that. Um, switching gears, I wanted to now talk about um, the professionals. Um, there's a lot of physios, obviously, uh, using a variety of different techniques um, to help people who are in pain. And you, as you have said, pain is very complex and not everybody's going to respond to the same things, uh, which can be quite challenging for the healthcare provider who's also trying to figure it out. Um, what tips could you give um, therapists from sort of burning out, right? Like it's, it's hard to think that it's not you, like that it's hard to sort of separate, you know, yourself as being the reason they're not getting better from the multitude of reasons why somebody isn't perhaps responding the way that we want them to and, you know, um, can lead physios to really try harder and do more and learn more and then, you know, burn out. So I I just wondered what tips you may have uh, for those therapists who are working with more challenging cases. Yeah, that's, I do. I have a whole course on that. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, I have a course on that. So, um, of course, sometimes the more we kind of uh, know about a topic, sometimes it's harder to to bring it into just a few concise key points. Um, So I think the way I'll answer that, a couple things come to mind, and that there's a lot of different, sort of models of, of burnout and we have to look at or different risk factors first we have to look at you know why you may be burnt out in the first place um, but I think it's important to understand that yes we look at the the person so we look at you the healthcare provider um, your personality that's what some of the research shows it can be you know certain dispositions different life experiences that have, that are going on now in your life, but also in the past. Some people can be maybe more susceptible to not um, having those coping strategies, so there's stress management strategies, or the emotional resiliency. We're all different, um, you know, and just different choices that we're making. Um, but, but then there's also a, a model called the job demands resource model, which we can't put all the the responsibility on the individual, right? There's there's things that are happening in the, in the system that may be outside of our control, and I think that's really important to point out. Um, so it, it, it's it, like pain, burnout. It, it's a complex issue, right? You can't um, you know just say, well, here, you know, this 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 this. You're not doing well, so here are some tips that you can do and. And I think, uh, and I will answer that and, and give you some ideas of what the research is saying and even some things that I've noticed with myself that has helped because that's, that's helpful. Um, but then also, you know, looking at your, where, your workplace and what kind of support you have and resources and that. So, um, you know, I think one of the things, and you've sort of touched on this already. I don't know if this, that was a lead-in question if you're... <laughs> Doing that on purpose, but this idea that, you know, we're the almighty savior, you know, we're fixing people. This is why I think yoga, so the course it teaches self-care and burnout, addressing burnout, but it's through the lens of yoga. So how using yoga within your physiotherapy practice, but also part of that is your own practice. That's what using yoga means. It's not just a tool or a modality we're doing for someone, right? It's a framework that we're using for self-care as well. So it's this idea, this paradigm that it's totally different than what we're taught in our modern medical system and what we're taught in rehabilitation or physio school. And we're not coming in and fixing someone. You know, it, we're facilitators of recovery. It's, it's a process. 
and we're there to to be guides and we do the best we can and i've got this in, in one of the book chapters um, that i write on how we can actually facilitate this um, compassionate wisdom to emerge which includes all of our skills and expertise and our advice and our treatment plan our goal all that stuff that we're taught in school but how can we do that in a way where we're not looking at ourselves like it's all our responsibility to control the outcome. Because in systems theory, um, what they talk about is this concept of emergence, which is we can't control outcomes. Like you can't. And I've had arguments about people with this because I, when I was learning this, I was like, well, no, you can't control, but you can at least you know, do things to increase the chances. And if you really look, though, at systems theory and what it says, when, you, when you're dealing with a complex system, which is what we are, you as the healthcare professional is a complex ecosystem. You come into that room with the patient who is a complex ecosystem. And in that moment and in that environment, what emerges, it's not pre-statable and it's unpredictable. You know, oh, absolutely. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's... So we have to, and I talk about this in the book chapter, and if people want to read more, I just love this stuff. And it's helped me with the, this idea of burnout, which is what we're talking about here. It's really helped me, which it's the tools and the techniques. Yeah, they, sure, they can help. But it, for me, it's something deeper. It's changing. It's shifting my paradigm of thinking. It's shifting how I show up at work every day. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not there to control the outcome. So you're um, there, you're in the present moment, you're doing the best you can, you're being as compassionate as you can, you're using all of your knowledge, your skills, your wisdom, you're connecting, you're trying to um, you know, really gain deeper insight into that person's story, you're listening, and then you do the best you can to let the, um, let the engagement part of the process, right? So now you've got to give your advice, You've got to, you know, do your technique or whatever. Um, but then when you're done, you let go. You detach from outcomes. So there's this idea of therapeutic humility that um, an anthropologist, you actually really like her work, Joan Halifax. Have you heard of her, Madeline? I haven't, no. Yeah, you would probably I... really like her. She, so she's an anthropologist, a Zen um, meditation teacher, and a bunch of other things. But she... Um, she has a course on healthcare practitioner, self-care and burnout, and it's really fascinating. But she talks about this therapeutic humility, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, you know, so we, we go in, like I said, doing the best we can, and then you detach from the outcome. So that's one thing that has really helped me. It's not the, the answer. There's no one solution. There's no silver bullet answer to helping address burnout. Um, but I'll just, if, if you like, I can just read these little bullet points that might help the listeners. Sure. Um, with some of what the, the literature says that might be risk factors for burnout. And it's not rocket science to everyone. You could probably write your own list and it will be identical to this. But things like we've said, like just that idea of overwhelm and, and not having the, the coping strategies at that moment in your life, like for stress and um, and self-care and things like that. But also, I think times in your life, like there may be some loss has been shown. Um, and that it may not necessarily be death related, but even health. So maybe something's going on with your health that you've lost, um, you know, some sort of resiliency or coping strategies just because your health isn't 100%. Um, and then even loss, uh, changing jobs, you lose, you might gain another one, maybe you have a great job, but you've lost that camaraderie. Like if these are losses, your spouse may have lost a job, maybe relocating, you've now lost your community, your house, and you're in another community. Um, kids may leave home, you know, emptiness. So all these things can lead to basically what it is, is a change in your physiological status, right? You just change that a little bit and you lose that ability to be resilient to the tough stuff. And then, like I said, history of trauma, actually. And this doesn't necessarily mean always the, 
the abuse and trauma we're thinking of, but even things like, um, I don't know if you've heard of the adverse childhood experiences and, and oh, yeah. research, but yeah, even things like. All of uh, Dr. Gabor Mate's uh, sort of work about the, you know, effects of physiological, uh, not the, not physiological, but psychological stress, um, you know, just constantly the environment you work in you know if you're yeah. not getting along with your co-workers and then yeah. you're dealing with heavy topics that certainly can yeah. be a risk factor right yeah and then and even just getting back to um you know if you've had the childhood experiences that have been adverse that could even be your parents getting divorced or you relocating to a new school um you know these are just normal things that happen but, you know, that might change your physiological state even as an adult. And then, and then when your system is overwhelmed, all of a sudden you have more trouble dealing with um, these kinds of stressors at work. And then, you know, I thought these were interesting. And I think this may be more prevalent in our culture lately, I think in the last decade or more, like social comparison and cultural expectations so the whole social media stuff and and even just cultural expectations, um, you know, like being re- like high achievers, being really rewarded and achievements and doing more seems to be so respected and valued. And Dr. Gabor Mate, he talks about this, like we, we live in a culture where we are valued and respected on what we produce and what we consume and not what we, who we are as just a human being. So that, and he's coming out with some new, with a couple of new books and he'll be talking about this and um, our toxic kind of culture. So I think that all these little things I can, I think can play into, you know, burnout and then just lack of the social support and connection. And I think even lack of, um, well, not me, it's not me saying this, this is literature, lack of meaning and purpose. So if you're, if your job is, and now getting into the, um, the job demands resource model of burnout when we're looking at the actual um, system that you're in and, and the workplace. You know, if, if the workplace doesn't have uh, an environment set up that's conducive to you feeling like you're valued, to you feeling like you're making a difference and having some sort of meaning or purpose, and if you're spending 40 plus hours of your week there, um, you know, that might take a toll on us. And then if we have, if we're dealing with uh, trying to help people with persistent pain and their issues are really complex and they're having a really challenging time and we're having a challenging time helping them and it doesn't seem like what we're, what we're doing or what we're saying is being received or followed, um, you know, that can get very frustrating for us. So you see our own physiological state is so important for us to be able to regulate ourselves, to be patient with people, um, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, there's other things just about the, the workplace and, um, you know, we just need to be well compensated, not just financially, but even just rewarded for. Um, good work. Uh, and- good work, yeah, acknowledged and, yeah. and like you're valued. And then just like you said, the camaraderie, the morale at the, at the workplace um, and, and just, you know, having some sort of professional sharing and feedback and mentoring. I'll maybe stop there because there's a lot, but that just, I think that the key point there, just getting back to your original question about burnout and how challenging it can be for healthcare professionals. I think it's important to keep in mind that yes, it's you yourself and your own physiological state and also the work environment so i think those two things and then oh and then like i said the paradigm shifting the thinking of you're not fixing you have to shift your role what who what who you are what what are you there for and and oh and then the last thing i'll say this is my can't believe I almost didn't say this one. This is like the crux of my work in one of the book chapters I write on compassion. So uh, it's a whole other can of worms. I don't know if we're going to open it here, but I'll just say briefly, we have research that says this, and I know even just with my own experience, compassionate care, which, you know, there's certain ways to cultivate 
compassionate care, but offering even more of this compassionate wisdom to emerge. So this process, it's a process of really genuinely, genuinely offering compassionate care for people in pain, so for those patients we work with, as well as cultivating self-compassion within ourselves as the healthcare provider. We have research showing that this may actually help prevent one of the things that can help prevent burnout in the healthcare provider. And it's, and it's fascinating. Absolutely. Is that something that you, you cover like in your course, like how to yes. actually, right? Cause for me, it's always the challenge of like, I read a lot. I understand concepts and, you know, and then at the end of it all, I'm like, okay, what does that actually look like in real yeah. life? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we do. So it's a three day, it's a three day course. We have lots of time for experiential and that's what I do. So we'll talk, we'll do lecture, we'll look at this theory. So here are these six steps for compassionate care. Um, we all like steps and we all like, you know, and um, these Joan Halifax's model of inactive compassion. Um, so I use that model and I, and I talk about it in the book chapter and I write all about, okay, so here's the, the process, the six steps. And then I parallel that to the practical yoga practices um, on how we can do that. And then in the course we do, um, yeah, that's what we do for three days. We have, you know, practices, sometimes they're two hour long nice yoga type practices and but it's um you know it is this idea that when you look at the process of developing or cultivating compassion it's to me it's again it's something that's kind of common sense when you actually start to look at it and you and you read it you're like well yeah you know and it's things like being fully present um, but how do you cultivate presence like there's things that we can do instead of that mind, you know, the mind going to judge, especially as healthcare providers, when we're listening to the person and they're telling the story, we are often in that, again, the fix it mode or the, oh, what, what am I going to do? Like if I have an hour session here, you're already thinking, you're listening, but you're thinking about what to say next to, to help the person. You're thinking it's all well intended, but the, for true, you know, compassionate response, for a true compassionate response is which is what we need more, I think, in healthcare. Um, and for that to emerge, we really need to listen to understand and not listen to respond. Yeah. And we're, we're often, that's something I've learned, I, I, I have a habit of listening to respond because I want to help. That's what you're, the patient's paying me for and coming to me for, for their help. But yeah, I'm telling you, if, if you start to play and explore, yeah, take some courage to sit back and not go into that part of your brain that's trying to problem solve. And so you're not in that prefrontal cortex, right? The executive functioning, you're kind of just sitting back and you're just receiving, creating a safe space for the person to tell their story. And if you, if you try that, you'd be so surprised at the, um, not only the, the space, not only what that provides for the person in pain, because they often don't feel seen and heard and really validated. And there's an energy there. They can sense that you're just really listening and you're not the step ahead, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about how to respond. You try that. It's amazing what does end up coming from that because I think we create a very creative space within us as the health provider to then have this emergence of ideas and possibilities. And um, But back to the, the, the what you had asked me on, on the compassionate piece. Yes, in the course and in the book chapter, there's a lot of practical ways that we can, we can um, implement to help this compassion emerge and self-compassion, which then can help prevent, believe it or not, it can help prevent burnout. It helps to foster this emotional resilience and give us the fuel and the resources that we need to, to keep going and keep providing care. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, a chapter, the chapter in the book, and I'm sure our listeners are like, what book, what book? Maybe you could tell us what, what, what book can people find um, more information about this topic? Yeah, so I co-edited and co-authored a book with Neil Pearson and Marlisa Sullivan. She's also a physical therapist and yoga therapist and professor at Maryland University of Integrative Health. 
and our book is called Yoga and Science in Pain Care, Treating the Person in Pain. And we have other contributors um, in the book as well, so it's, it's not just the three of us, we have some other authors. And it's just a nice uh, a book that has, takes multiple perspectives on how to integrate yoga into pain care. And so it really helps healthcare providers look at different ways yoga can be used and the theory behind it. So it's not as much, uh, I mean, we have practices and advice in there for sure, but it's a, it's a book that it really helps you gain a deeper understanding into all of this. And then um, it also helps yoga professionals learn more about the science around pain. So we have a nice chapter on pain biology, sensitization. And so there's, there's a lot of science and a lot of theory, and then there's a lot of practical sorts of things. And it, it's a neat, it's a neat book. We cover a lot of ground, you know, awareness, compassion, breath work, breathing. There's a, I do, I write a whole chapter on breathing, um, course, movement. There's one on grief and loss. Antonio Sousas talks about that uh, psycho-emotional transformation. Um, trying to think some of the other. Oh, there's one on addictions. Uh, so that's that's a nice chapter, especially with the opioid issues. And then Marlisa, the last chapter is just phenomenal on eudaimonia. I don't know how she pronounces that. Anyways, it's it's thriving. You know how people in pain can lose their their lack of purpose and meaning and so basically it's social and existential concerns and pain care and Marisa really gets into the science and the literature like we have science that's why we call it yoga and science and pain care because we're we're looking at well what is the science saying about this stuff and so she looks at this at what the science is saying about you know what happens when pain persists to your feeling of connection to yourself to others and um, this idea of having meaning in your life and purpose and this word she, she came across, so this term eudaimonia. And, and yeah, it's really cool. Anyways, so that's the book and you can find it it's on pretty much anywhere, you know, on our website as Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thank you for mentioning that uh, in case our listeners are like, okay, great. I know the book. Where can I get it? So mm-hmm. um Uh, find that. I want to ask you about one other thing before um, we, I ask my final question, but can you tell uh, our listeners about your wow chats? Um, yeah. Because I, I think some, you know, if people are interested uh, or feel like they're resonating with you and want to, you know, follow you and see what kinds of things you're doing, obviously this would be one of the things that they could listen to and uh, gain more perspective. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing those up. They're fun. Um, and next time we meet, I, let's do one. Okay, so, sounds yeah, great. So, so basically, they're uh, words of wisdom. That's why I call it wow. So words of wisdom. And they're just candid conversations with people that I admire and respect and whose work is in line with making this world a better place. That's my tagline. But, you know, they started as um, not really a work-related thing. It was more, um, I I was traveling around more and more with teaching uh, courses and speaking and going to conferences and stuff. And it was just, I just have such a really, I feel so blessed, so fortunate to have so many really cool people around. And not just wise people, but like kind people. And I'm someone who, if you can't tell, I love talking and I love connecting. Like, I just love connecting, right? Especially one-on-one with people. I'm more of a one-on-one kind of person. And, and I'm, I'm a real kind of truth seeker or just really curious. And, and so I have all these struggles in my own life. And I'm always looking to how I can not suffer so much. <laughs> True. Tying back, to, tying back to the original or the very beginning part of this conversation when I was saying how, you know, I was, yoga helped me just be so much more kind. And remember all that? Yeah. Just, again, being clear, like I struggle, you know, as we all do as humans. So I go to all my trusted, wise, amazing friends, you know, and, and like I said, all this traveling that I was doing and meeting just such, like I said, wise and kind people. I just had such great insight. And there was a lot of yoga 
um, people, healthcare providers who were yogis. And so I would just, no, I'm sorry, and I'm not at the wow chats yet even. Yeah, that's okay. Just happy, yeah, joking. just having lunch. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun. I just thank you for asking. I, this is just a fun part of my life. So, you know, we'd have, you know, you go for lunch, right? Oh, hey, my friend that I see once a year at this conference and let's go for lunch or let's go for breakfast. And we just have these great conversations. And, and like I said, a lot of them were my therapy sessions, you know, like, well, I, how do you do this? And I'm struggling, especially when I started going out um, on my own. So I quit the outpatient orthopedic busy setting of seeing 20 plus 26 patients a day. I quit that about seven years ago and went out on my own. So that's a whole other you know, thing to talk about um, for anyone who's gone out on their own and the challenges and I'm not, didn't feel like I was really entrepreneurial. So then all these, not just work stuff, but personal stuff comes out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm shaking my head as a, like rolling your eyes. It's hard. Like, as a business thing. owner and not having any formal, you know, guidance on yeah. anything, business, yeah. marketing, what it means to yes. fail often. Yes. See, um, it's hard. Yeah. It gets you. And I'm talking about personal. This is, so that's, now that I'm, I haven't really thought about this, but the wow chats, they really started from this place of me really struggling and trying to reach out to these people for support. And the, what I was learning was great. And then I was doing more blog writing because now I'm a freelancer or a solo you know, entrepreneur, or a, you call myself that, a sole proprietor. And so what do you start doing? Okay, YouTube. I got to get a YouTube channel. I'm going to do blogs. And, and then this thing came up. Well, I should start. I should write about all this great stuff that my friends are teaching me. Life stuff. So again, not even really work-related. Like not about yoga, not about physio, not about persistent pain. Or, and then I never really did anything. It was just, I should, I should. That's really cool. And then one day, it was at night, I just remember words of wisdom, you know, then your brain starts going to the creative, you know, like, oh, wow, it could be wow, W wow chats, or it's been called the wow show, and the wow chats, and yeah, and then it budded from there, and but what I wanted, so I've got two things, number one, they were going to be just short form, like they were going to be one question, so because I thought of a podcast, or let's do a wow show, or I thought, oh, like, just something real candid, cute, kind of just rapid fire, and I didn't want to tell the person the question. I just wanted to spring it on them and it wasn't going to be live. So if it was an inappropriate question, because I wanted it to be kind of personal, you know, like let's get to real life stuff. Like let's talk about deep, let's go deep. And um, if it was inappropriate, um, you know, we, we just, I just trash it. Right. So that was kind of my thing. And then the other thing was only live. So I, and it's not, it's just the reason for, because I go to all these conferences and that, and it would just give me a good excuse to, hey, Madeline, next time we're at IPPS conference, hey, let, let's go sit and let's do a wow chat, you know, for it's like three minutes or they end up being about maybe five minutes. Or. So they're, they, I've got people, uh, sometimes they're work related. So I'll just share with you all, uh, those of you that know Lauren or Mosley, I was able to do one with him. So we do talk about pain education and his explained pain, but we get just some cool stuff. You know, he tells me, don't always hang around with people that just agree with you and, um, you know, stuff like that. Like it's, that was good. Uh, Gabor Mate, I did do one with him. And again, sort of more related to the course that I did with him. So it was a bit more work related, but, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, paying attention to the tension within yourself as the healthcare provider when you're listening other people that was it's a really cool one and then there's a bunch of our colleagues of course you and I both know Caroline Van Dyken and Jill Mueller's on there just a just about I've got about 40 some now and so are they fun. are they still accessible like anybody if they want to oh listen, yeah yeah where are on my YouTube they, channel. okay gotcha okay yeah just go to my YouTube if you go to my website Physio Yoga, so P H Y S I O Y O G A dot C A. Physio Yoga dot C A. Um, you'll see in the upper corner there's all my little icons like Facebook, Twitter, Vimeo, and you'll see YouTube. And if you go to YouTube, uh, 
you'll see the playlist of the wild chats. There's other stuff on there too, but yes, yeah, there's like, fun, all like, kinds of topics. Yes, your toilet meditation is one of my most oh, pop, yeah. my most popular um, resources that I give out to my Thank clients. You. I I just I'll say okay, so here's like this video I did about like toilet, you know, you know, just some exercise movements and postures, but here's a wonderful toilet mindfulness practice. It's from Shelly Prosco. Like look it up. Oh, and yeah, yeah, so it's, it's really um, oh, one of the resources I go to fairly often. Thank you. Yeah. So I've got, um, you know, so you have the YouTube uh, link, but I've got, I try to do it in different forms. Everybody's different. So I've got the YouTube link. If you want to share that with your patients. Um, but I also have a blog. So, you know, people like reading, so you can read it. And I've got the acronym down there. Um, but if people, so not everyone, you know, can go home and get on the internet. And so I do have a PDF now. So if you're interested, I can share that, you know, if you want to print it out. And so there's some different ways. Amazing. Excellent. Yeah, and the Vimeo, and it's on Vimeo too. I don't know if, um, if you know that, but then. There's those Vimeo practices that I have. Okay, great. That the, yeah. Well, I, well, that was going to be kind of my, my final question, you know, to you is like, where, you know, where can people find you? Where can they access more information? You know, um, but you've shared your wow chats. We've talked about your uh, book, Yoga and Science in Pain Care. Uh, with your Vimeo, you have uh, yoga practices for... Uh, well, the uh, the ones I, I'm aware of are for uh, pelvic floor relaxation, pelvic floor strengthening, but I assume you have other videos there as well. Yeah, yeah. Those are the main ones on Vimeo that I have. Um, and so there are a lot of uh, pelvic floor physiotherapists such as yourself um, and others too, other physiotherapists, not just pelvic floor, but a lot of people like yourself use those uh, videos. And I have a I have a code that I'm happy to give all your listeners. So people that may have some pelvic floor health issues, if they want to check out the videos, um, client discount 10 is the 10% code. You can leave those in the show notes if you want. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. that's, that's what, what I intend to do. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's those mostly, uh, you know, I do have some other videos, the overcome pain, gentle yoga videos. They're not, uh, They're on my, you can find them. Yeah. I was just thinking there might be under Neil's Vimeo, but you go to my website and if you want to kind of browse around, you pretty much can find everything on there. And all the links to socials if people want to find you. So I'll, I'll post the link to your website in the show notes. Um, and, you know, people can kind of explore um, from there uh, since it's pretty much all kind of linked through there. Um, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom and your information, um, with me and my listeners. And I hope, um, you know, our listeners have gotten some really good tips. I, and I, you know, selfishly, um, to love doing these interviews because really it's about my learning too. Right. And I get, I just kind of disguise the, you know, what I, you know, what I look in the questions. I'm like, well, if I'm interested in this, other people might be too. Um, and, and as you said, you know, we're all um, struggling with different things um, in our journey. And it's just nice to uh, have these platforms where we can share, collaborate, and, uh, I always say, you know, if I can just help one person listening, then I feel like it was all worth it, right? That's great. Well, you're do this is just such a great um, service that you're offering. So thank you for allowing me to share and babble and go on and on. And I just, I really, so thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, you know, it's a privilege. I consider it a privilege to be heard. So thank you, Madeline. And thanks oh. everyone for listening. 
Absolutely. And, and who knows, maybe in the future, we'll, we'll do a part to a part two and, and hear some more other stories. Cause I could have gone on, but you know, let's, I want to also be respectful of each other's time and hopefully we'll see each other at another conference and we'll do a quick little wow chat too. So. Absolutely. So, yeah. So thanks again to you and thanks to our listeners. Um, we always appreciate you tuning in and we would love you to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest and greatest. And of course, as always share with your friends or family, or maybe, you know, a therapist who's interested in yoga or know a yoga therapist who's interested in pain. This is like the perfect thing to share. Um, and uh, till next time we say bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.